Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, May the 5th, 2023. It is currently 1219 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, but I, okay, I know you're all in the back seat, right? You're you're you you've been going along for this uh, road trip, right? We've been taking a road trip looking at the subject of temptation, right? Our Bible study exercise has been on the subject of temptation. And I know you guys have been in the backseat just kind of riding along. I've been supposedly driving this car, driving this bus, driving whatever we want to call it. I've been driving and I've been trying to take us through this Bible study exercise, letting you see this, pointing this out, this, trying to define what temptation is and working on a lot of very important concepts. And I, and I think I've stayed on the main road, right? I've stayed on the main road. You know, hey, we're, we're getting closer and closer to our destination, understanding temptation from a biblical and theological perspective. I've been very consistent, I think, but I can't help it. I can't help it. Maybe because it's Friday. I can't, we're going to have to pull off the side of the road. We're going to have to don't, there's a road sign over here. There's a, there's like a historical marker. There's like a, you know, in 10 miles, see the largest armadillo that's ever existed. And, and five miles, see scary reptile. You ever see those things on the highway, right? 10 miles, you know, this, what, what, just it's something bizarre, something you're like, wait, what is that? UFO museum, you know, alien autopsy. What? the video five miles up the road, whatever. It, I, I mean, I don't know. Are, are you able to resist those things? Are you able? I'm not able guys. We're, we're, we're that's, I know, I know you're telling me no, stay on the highway. I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're exiting. We're, we're, here we go. We're taking the exit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we, we have to pull over. We have to see this. We have to see this because about an hour ago, I got an email with this subject line, three urgent steps. And I'm like, whoa, what are these three urgent steps? These are three urgent steps to take to combat temptation. Three urgent steps to take to combat temptation. So we're driving down the road and all of a sudden, you know, I see the road sign. Three, learn three urgent steps that you need to take today to combat temptation. Seminar happening in 30 minutes. We, we have to take the exit. I mean, we have to go to this seminar and learn these three urgent steps to take that we should take to combat temptation, right? Because when, whenever we're studying temptation, not only do we want to understand what it is, we obviously, I know as Christians, when we think about temptation, how do we avoid it? How do we not become a victim to it? How can we resist it? How can we stop from falling into temptation? How can we stop temptation from leading us into sin? So if all of a sudden we're driving down the road and there's a sign that says, three, ur- learn three urgent steps you need to take today to combat temptation, I say we've got to pull over. I, I say we have to pull over. You don't, don't you agree? I think we have to pull over right now as we're pulling over. Okay. All right. All right. Everyone listening. Everyone's listening. Okay. It's like, I'm, I'm supposed to be driving, but I'm looking in the back seat. Okay, guys, pay attention, pay attention. So far in our road trip, 
looking at the subject of temptation. Remember, we've tried to define what temptation is, right? An enticement to evil. Remember we talked about that? We've talked about it being a trial. We've talked about it being a test. That temptation is an enticement in, uh, to evil, a trial that tries to get us and our thinking and our speaking and our desiring, our feeling and our actions to do that which is contrary to God's word. This is done to test us, to test where we are spiritually. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Someone just said the fact you couldn't resist the temptation to attend the seminar is good evidence we made the right choice to pull over for this. Okay. Maybe, 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 maybe the fact that I cannot resist the tempt, the temptation of road signs, right? Five miles to the, you know, the largest ball of yarn. I got to see it. I got to see it. Five miles. See a million bats. Okay. I got, I got to see that. I got to see that. If you're ever in Fredericksburg, Texas. Oh, wow. Outside of Fredericksburg, Texas, there's this old abandoned, it's like a train tunnel, right? And there's like a billion bats. Okay, I'm high, high, a little bit of hyperbole. There's millions of bats that live in this like abandoned train tunnel, right? It, from like way back in history. And if you go to this place, it's outside of Fredericksburg, Texas. They have like a, these little like bleachers you can sit in. And you go right as the sun is starting to go down because all the bats come out to go feed at night, right? And it is insane. There's just like all, it's just like a cloud of black, just, and there are all these bats and they go, I mean, you have to go see that, right? If you're near Fredericksburg, you have to go see the bats coming out to go feed, right? I mean, you have to, right? I mean, you should take a trip to Fredericksburg, Texas, just to see that. Oh, you've got the Nimitz um, uh, World War II Memorial Museum there. So there's lots of things. Well, Fredericksburg is really a small town, but okay, I won't get into discuss. But you have to go there. Like, oh, we got to go see the bats. We have to go see the bats. Yeah, I, I remember going and watching it. It was like utterly crazy. And you could walk down. Well, I don't know if we were supposed to walk down there because there was no one around, but we walked down to like where the train tunnel was and you could look up and see all the bats just like hanging upside down. Uh, it, it was awesome. But I, the point is, uh, yeah, I can't resist those, those things. I can't resist those things. So if, I guess if I cannot resist a so-called seminar, I'm calling it a seminar. It's really just an article. If I can't resist going to the seminar on the Three urgent steps to take to combat temptation. Clearly, then I need I need to know what they are. So we're going to learn what they are. But before we do that, I'm being distracted by people in the back seat. Shh, shh, be quiet back there. I'm trying to talk. Okay, all right. So here we go. Here's what we've done. We've been given a definition of temptation: enticement to evil, trial, and test. Right. the The enticement to evil and the trial. It happens that gets us to try to think, speak, feel, and act and desire of that which is contrary to God's word. This is all done to test our, our commitment to God's word, to test where we are spiritually. And we talked about that definition. Now, if you look at the curriculum, this is what they've wanted us to focus on in regards to temptation. Number one. The temptation, a specific temptation to rely on ourselves instead of God. So now they give us a specific temptation. We've got a general definition of temptation. So now in your life and my life, the, the curriculum wanted us to take time to consider how we are tempted 
to rely on ourselves instead of God. Remember that we're utilizing Deuteronomy and Matthew 4, Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6 to talk about these things. So how have you given it much thought so far in this Bible study exercise? Have you given it much thought how you have, you can be tempted to rely on yourself instead of God? How has that temptation manifested itself? Can you identify that temptation and what have you done in order to stand against it, right? The temptation to rely on self instead of God. The second, the temptation to tempt or test God. And what ways are you tempted to test or tempt God? Now, we, I, I try to get you to define what that means to tempt or test God. Someone sent me a long email this morning. Uh, they've got, they did a very good job on that. And maybe we'll talk more about that. But can you identify when you are being tempted to tempt or test God? You're, you're, you're basically testing God. Do you know when you're doing that? Do you realize that? And then number three, the temptation to place something before God. All right? To place something before God. So in what ways have you faced temptation to rely on yourself instead of God? How have you faced temptation to tempt or try or detest God? And how have you faced temptation to place something before God? Those are specific temptations that I want. If you have not spent time meditating on those specific temptations, identifying them, finding scripture that relates to them, I am begging, pleading with you to do some work on that before our study is over, before our road trip is over, before we have to pull over and say that concludes our, our trip, uh, you know, into the subject of temptation. I want you to really meditate on those three things. Temptation to rely on yourself instead of God. Temptation to tempt or test God. Temptation to place something before God. Now, here's our detour. We're walking up. There's a big, like, you know, electronic billboard. Three urgent steps. The seminar is happening right now. All right, so we're going to walk in. We're going to sit down. Okay, nice little building. Okay, all right, looks, it looks good. All right, all right. Here comes the speaker. They walk up to the platform. They walk up to the pulpit. And here's what they say. You and I are just as temptable as anyone else, just as subject to fallen human condition in which we exert our willpower over others as we seek to be our own God. Now, let me read that again. This is how they want us to start. You and I. We can be just as tempted as anyone else. You and I, we we're just as temptable as the way they they would temptable the way they they describe it. But we we can be tempted. I, I can agree with that. I can be just as tempted as anyone else. I don't care if you've been saved for a hundred years, ten years, sixteen seconds. We are all just as subject to temptation as anyone else. We're just as subject to the fallen condition. That is, we're all subject to the fallen condition. I completely agree that that all of us can be tempted. All of us are subject to the fallen condition. And then they, this is the way they describe it. We're, we're subject to the fallen condition in which we exert our willpower over others as we seek to be our own God. As, I'm sorry, as we exert our will to power over others as we seek to be our own God. We do seek to be our own God. We do seek to exert our our and our our will to power over other people. 
We want dominance over other people. We want our way. We want, we want everything to go our way. We, I mean, we want to be God. We want everything to please us. We want everything to go our way. I, I, I can agree with that. It's written a little weird, but okay. Uh, I, I can, I can see that. All right. So I can, so basically, if we were to break this down, I can agree that we are just as temptable as anyone else. Agreed. We're subject to the fallen human condition. Agree. Now, they say in which we exert our will to power over others. Okay. I do think we try to exert ourselves over others. Put it this way. I'm going to say it this way. We can agree that we can all be tempted. We can agree that we're all subject to the fallen human condition. We can agree that we have a tendency to place ourselves above others and we place our wants and desires above others. That is true. Number four, we do seek to be our own God. Those are four things I think all Christians should be able to agree on. We, we all can be tempted. We're all subject to the fallen human condition. We all try to exalt ourselves, place ourselves above other people. We seek our own good over other people, and we all seek to be our own God. I, I think that those are things you may want to write down as you just consider. And all of that would fit perfectly, obviously, with the subject of temptation. They go on to say, in fact, Satan employs a subtle deception for evangelical Christians by which we are tempted to separate our public moral stands from our private moral failures. Accordingly, God is calling us to take three urgent steps today. All right, so let's listen to that again. Satan employs a subtle deception for evangelical Christians by which we are tempted to separate our public moral stands from our private moral failures. What do you think they mean by that? Are they saying we're afraid to take, that we're tempted to separate our our public moral stance from our private moral failure? In other words, are they saying we're tempted to separate it in this way, that we just ignore our private moral failures for our public moral stand? Or are they saying because of our private moral failures, we're afraid to take a public moral stand? That's a That's a really interesting sentence. Let me read it again. Satan employs a subtle deception for evangelical Christians by which we are tempted to separate our public moral stands from our private moral failures. Now it says, accordingly, God is calling us to take three urgent steps today. I don't know exactly how they mean it. This is what I would say that, and and, I, and and maybe this will, I don't know if this is going to address what the author is trying to get across here. Because again, some of that, I tried to, I could break down the first part. I don't know if I can break this down because I don't know exactly what they're trying to say. They don't offer any explanation to clean it up. Here's what I would say. As Christians, we do take, in a sense, public moral stands about right and wrong. But I hope the way we should always take it, this is what God says. God says this is right and God says this is wrong. But we can acknowledge 
that we don't always follow that as well. Um, all right, someone says, I took it, 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 I took it as we won't publicly admit them. Okay, that's a good way of looking at it as well. Um, it is, it is, it is a confusing sentence, or at least it is to me, but everything is confusing to me today. So who knows? Who knows? So let, 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 let me, let me try to say it this way. One, I think sometimes Christians take a public stand almost in order to hide their moral, fa- their private, private moral failure. Like sometimes you, you know, you doth protest too much, right? You're, you're, you're protesting so loud, almost as if you're trying to overcompensate for your moral failures. Like you're struggling with this moral failure. So you're going to yell and scream louder about that particular sin. You're going to be, and sometimes you're just like, whoa, that's almost a sign that you've got an issue. I'm not saying that's directly correct. Uh, Okay, someone says no, they can't be right. The public stand is a separate thing. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. There's lots of different ways. I'm just going to go a lot of different ways. So here's what I'm going to say. I think publicly, sometimes we have to ask ourselves when we're taking a public stand, when we're getting so upset with a sin, are we getting upset over the sin because we know of what's really going on in our lives privately? Sometimes our moral outrage over a public problem is a moral outrage over our private reality. I do think we have to be very honest with that. Sometimes you got to realize, look, I'm, I'm ticked off at that. I mean, I've told the story a million times how, you know, some, a person I knew in the military, he, he's driving to work and there's a new billboard with a girl in a bikini and he comes in and he's just losing his ever living mind. Like, this is horrible. This is outrageous. We need to call someone. We need to get rid of this. This is the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, what in the world? It was just a billboard, a girl in a bikini. Calm down. Well, because, well, he, was having some serious lust problems. Well, then the issue wasn't the billboard. The issue is what's going on in your heart. So I think we just have to be willing to admit if we hate a sin, why do we hate it? I I heard a story one time um, of, I don't remember, it was a preacher, somebody, he, he used to go to this convenience store all the time, all the time, all the time, and like every day. And he went in one day and realized that they had just put in like a magazine rack and there was all pornography, all these porn magazines. So he told, uh, he, he went to the, the manager and he was like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know, I won't be, I won't be coming back to the store. And he's like, why? He's like, because of the pornography. He's like, oh, because you think it's wrong and, and, and you're, you're, because you're, you know, basically boycotting and condemning. He's like, no, 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 no. You're misinterpreting. I'm not coming back because I want to buy it. I want it and I'm not supposed to have it. It's not because I think I'm I'm just condemning it. I want it. I want to look at it. I want. I want to buy it. I like. I, I, if I come here, I'm going to start buying it. Like he was very like to me. There, that's where you're taking kind of a public stand, but you're you're doing so by admitting your own moral weakness. I I I think that I don't know if Satan. Te- I don't know how Satan is supposedly tempting us. I think there's always been a conflict between the public. Look, that's that's the very difficult part of Christianity. Christianity gives us a morality, which we don't keep. 
Like we fall short in some way, shape, or form. We fall short in thought, word, and deed, internally, externally. So Christianity is always this weird thing. Like we may, because I think sometimes the world doesn't understand, right? They'll be like, well, you believe that's wrong. You hypocrite. Well, no, I, yes, we are hypocrites. We don't ever, but we're not hypocrites if we're willing, if we'll take off the mask and go, scripture condemns this. I want to do it. I desire it. I love it. I want to do more of it, right? Like it's like I think it would be different if we could just take a, 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 a when we take our moral stand that we're that our private reality is much more connected with the public. I think we separate the two, and I think we have to just bring the two together. I know I was kind of going number one, number two, number three. I'm not really following that now. I apologize for that because now I'm just trying to process this. I'm just trying to really process the sentence. I thought I was going to have some brilliant outline now, but I, I do believe that we we uh, have to, I think number one, I, I guess I was going to have to say is we just have to be willing to acknowledge sometimes our, our outrage over a sin is because we're, out, we're outraged at our own sin. Number two, I think sometimes we have to try to explain to people we're taking a moral stand, not because of what we think, but that's what God says. And we, we struggle with the very thing God's taking a stand against. So we're, we struggle with it as well. And I think number three, when we do take a moral stand, sometimes we have to ask ourselves what we're trying to accomplish with a moral stand. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Like I've seen Christians get outraged, you know, uh, just outraged over things. And I'm like, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish with your moral stand? Like, what do you want to happen? Do you want lost people to just not live like lost people? Do you want them to live like Christians because it makes you more comfortable? Like what's the end game? No, you will not look at that. You will not watch that. Like I, you know, I remember when uh, the last temptation of Christ came out to the movie theaters, which was supposedly blasphemous and had all kinds of horrible things. Christians were standing in front of the theater, like trying to keep people from going in. I'm like, what do you like? And wanting the movie theater shut down and wanted to boy. Why? Someone made a film blaspheming Jesus. Yeah. You don't have to watch it. Who cares? Go make a film not blaspheming Jesus. It's like sometimes Christians want to take a moral stand because we want to control the behavior of other people. And I don't understand the desire to control the behavior of lost people. Now, if they're doing something that harms people like, you know, murder, rape, I mean, obviously we have to have laws to govern a society. But if it's something they're doing, you can condemn it from a biblical standpoint, but I don't know why you would want to control it. Sometimes our public moral stance, I don't understand. I know that's not really the point of this. I want to get to these three urgent steps. I'm just trying to understand how they believe Satan is impacting this. But I think maybe we do have a some conflict within Christianity with our public moral stance and our private moral failures. Because look, if, if any Christian tries to claim they don't have any private moral failure, they got a bigger problem because there's millions of private moral failures and thought, words, and deeds all the time. Right, but you you can you can ponder that just the the reality of a public moral stand and your private moral failure. How how does how does that work together? How is it separate? Just and just your how should Christians take a public moral stand? You know, I, I every time every time it'll be like you know Republicans are the party of family values, and then you'll look at some of the lives of Republican politicians. You're like. 
those are the family values that you're talking about? Because once again, whatever moral standard we stand for, let's remember we're sinners by nature. We're going to fall short. I think there's just got to be a more open, honest, hey, this is what the scriptures say is right and wrong. That's what we believe. But I want you guys to know we fall short of this just as much as you do because God's moral standard is law, which reveals to us our failure, which drives us to the cross. I think sometimes we... We, we forget that. Well, at least that's just just some of my thoughts. Just some of my thoughts. All right. Making sure there was no more comments. All right. Let's get to this. Here we go. I'm sorry. I know we, 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 we the seminar was about to begin and I interrupted it. All right. But here we go. According to this seminar, here are the three urgent steps that you must take today in order to combat temptation. Are you ready? Here are three. Step number one. dramatic pause. Does that, does that, did that build your anticipation right there? Ah, oh, never mind. We'll just stop. We'll just, you, you want to just stop? All right. No, no. Come on. You want to, I want, you need to go. No, you better not stop. All right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Three urgent steps. Here's step number one. We have to take them today. You cannot wait till tomorrow. You've got to take these steps today. Number one, settle for nothing less than holistic holiness. Settle for nothing less than holistic holiness. I'm going to write that phrase down because I've never contemplated holistic holiness or I've never used the phrase. So let's write this down. Holistic holiness. Have you ever, have you ever used that phrase? All right. All right. Okay, someone just said, huh, wait, what? All right, um, I can't interpret, huh, wait, what? <laughs> so I need the person who just said, huh, wait, what? To ask a question so that I can possibly try to explain, All right? So step number one is we cannot settle for anything other than holistic holiness, all right? Okay, all right, all right. They're interested in how they expand it. Okay, good, all right, here we go, here we go. Scripture declares, this is their, this is their expanding on it. This is their explaining it, right? Settle for nothing less than holistic holiness. Here we go. Number one, or this is them describing it. Scripture declares, blessed are those who keep God's testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart and who does no wrong, but walk in his ways. What is your heart condition today? All right. So I guess what they're claiming is that holistic holiness means a holiness that, that embraces the heart, like a heart that is that you're seeking God with your whole heart. You are obeying him from the heart, which then becomes an external Holiness. So it starts with a heart holiness and then it moves to an external holiness. Therefore, it's holistic. Right? Because holistic, I'm going to look up the word dip, uh, for holistic. See, they don't really explain it. That's the best they give us. Holistic, characterized by the belief that the parts of something are interconnected and can be explained by, by ref, by only 
explained only by the reference of the whole. That's holistic. So if we go back to this article, the first step, we and, and that's all they say about the first step. So let me read it again. All right. The, the, settle for nothing less than holistic holiness. Scripture declares, and then they just quote a scripture, Psalm 119 verses two through three. Blessed are those who keep God's testimonies. All right. So there's the external who seek him with their whole heart. There's the internal who also does no wrong, but walk in all his ways. They're arguing there's the holistic approach. You should not settle for anything less than holistic holiness, internal, external. That's the step you have to take today. Now, I don't know how we take the step to holistic holiness. I don't know how we do that. I don't even know what that means. Now, I know this probably follows in line with the idea that many Christians believe almost the eradication of the old nature. They'll still, they'll, they pay lip service and say the old nature is there, but they'll say, you have a new heart. You have a clean heart. You have a new will. Like they will talk about all of these things we supposedly have that basically means you can overcome the old will. But no, the sinful nature is very much present. So can we ever truly, if they say we that the first step we have to take is we can't settle for anything less than a holistic holiness, then I think we're, 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 we're done. Someone just said, uh, okay, yeah, all right. Uh, it says, maybe I don't understand it, but that's kind of like saying resist drinking the, I don't know exactly what they're referring to here, uh, you want by not wanting it. Okay, so whatever whatever we're going to say. So resist drinking, say, alcohol by not wanting to drink it. Well, that 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 does sound good if we could, right? It's, uh, but, um, but they, they don't expand on it anymore. That's literally the, the everything they say. They just give us Psalm 119, 2 through 3. I, again, I think what they're trying to say, I think what they're trying to say here. And I'll try to clarify is that, look, if you are a Christian, you can't settle for just an external holiness. You got to have the external and the internal. And you need to do that today. You need to seek God with your whole heart. You need to obey God with your life and you need your, your heart must be right and your life must be right. And you need to take that step today as if it's just a step you can take. You can just wake up and go, today, my heart will seek God completely. Everything inside of me will only want God, will only desire God. And therefore, externally, I won't do any of these things wrong. The, the only problem with that is the, the you can't just want your old nature to go away. Your old nature is there until glorification. So I, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how we're supposed to take this step. I, I see to, this, this is the way I see it. I see temptation, any temptation we encounter, any temptation, that temptation, why we count it all joy, whether it's an enticement to evil or whether it's a trial, is because that reveals what's in our heart. And over and over and over, it's going to reveal that in our heart is desires and wants and, and, and feelings that are contrary to God's word. 
So we count it all joy because the temptation reveals what's in our heart and we need to constantly be reminded of what's in our heart. I don't think I can say step number one is don't settle for anything less than holistic holiness and just now you just follow God with your whole heart and you obey him. Remember Psalm 119, that's that's a description. We would almost describe it as a law. All right, blessed are those who keep God's testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart and who do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Well, blessed is the person who does that, but no one does that. But we are blessed but that way because Christ did all of those things. So in Christ, I can be that blessed person because Christ was the blessed person and in him, then I'm blessed. But in practice, we don't do those things. I don't know if the first step is, I, 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 look, I love the idea that they're focusing on the internal and not just the external. I do agree Christians need to be aware of a holistic holiness because I think it would make us, I think it would uh, fix the way we approach uh, public moral stands. See, a public moral stand would be like, hey, the Bible says this is wrong, but ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know I want to do the thing I'm standing against. I desire it. I am attracted to it. I have a, like, like it's one thing. I think we have to be, I do, we do need a holistic approach, but that holistic approach is acknowledging how far we fall short internally. They almost approaching it. You just need to get the inside right. Because remember that last line they said? What is your heart condition today? Well, my heart condition today is like it is every day, sinful. <laughs> every day. So I, I, I don't know about that step. Okay, what's the second step? What's the second step? All right, we're already at 33 minutes. The second step. Here we go. Oh boy. Okay, here we go. So the first step is settle for nothing less than holistic holiness. Step number two, seek an intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus. Seek an intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus. So I guess the issue is that we have not sought an intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus. Therefore, we haven't been transformed. But all you have to do is get an intimate relationship with Jesus and it will be transformative. And then boom, then your whole heart will seek God and everything will be right. So the problem, see, so all of these problems are, hey, you're not seeking a holistic holiness. Do it. Get your heart right. Hey, 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 guess what? You're not seeking an intimate, transformative relationship with Jesus. Do that and you'll fix it. So once again, this is always approaching the subject from a law-based mentality. But let's see what they say here about this one. This one, the paragraph is a little bit longer. So maybe, maybe they'll give us more information. Here we go. Years ago, some pastor friends and I were discussing the plague of pornography in our churches. One of them said, our biggest problem is that our people don't love Jesus. If they did, they would hate what he hates and love what he loves. Wow. So the problem is, now please note, the pastor said, our people don't. He didn't say we don't love Jesus. Our people. The pastor separated himself from his people. 
hey, the, the, there's a pornography in the church because our people don't love Jesus because if they loved Jesus, they would hate what Jesus hates. They don't love him. So if we, so our problem is that we don't love Jesus. If we loved Jesus more, we wouldn't sin. Now, I will acknowledge that probably we never love Jesus. I mean, we're called to love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. That's a law. We're never going to fulfill that law. Christ did love the Father, right? There's perfect love within the Trinity. Christ loved the Father with all his heart, mind, body, and soul, right? In the incarnation, he loved his Father the correct way. Not my will, your will be done. He placed his love for the Father above his own self and, and, and the relationship in the incarnation. You understand that. And in Christ, therefore, his perfect love is imputed to me, and therefore, I do love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. Now, I understand practically it would be better that we love him more, and we love him more, and we love him more, and we love him more. Here's a question. If you were to love Jesus as close to as perfect of love as you could, would that just overcome and override the internal corruption and the internal depravity? Could love override depravity? The problem with David, he didn't love God enough. The problem with Abraham, he didn't love God enough. The, I mean, the problem with everyone. I don't know. And what really disturbs me is that the pastor would separate himself from the people. Again, here's his direct quote. Our biggest problem is that our people don't love Jesus. He didn't say our biggest problem is that we don't love Jesus, but that our people don't. If they did, they would hate what he hates and love what he loves. The pastor was right. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, uh, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How fully are you walking in the light today? Now, there they have saying that means walking in the light. So I don't know if they're making walking in the light. The article is written so weird here. It's written so poorly in some ways because there's no real explanation to any of that. So is walking in the light the same thing as loving Jesus? Or is it two things? Love Jesus and walk in the light. Then you'll hate sin. Then you won't sin. And then pornography will no longer be a problem. If you love Jesus, gluttony will no longer be a problem. If you love Jesus, gossip. Now, you can, you can, of course, we'll attach it to pornography, but let's attach it to everything. If people love Jesus more, I don't know, would they, if they love Jesus more, would that be the end of entertainment? They would get rid of their television. They would just, and all they would do is every day sing hymns, pray, and read scripture, and listen to sermons. And that would be their lives.
is the reality is when I mean, we, we, we've stopped the cars we, to, to pull over for this seminar. And I guess what I'm being told is this. Hey, 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 hey. Your heart's not right. Get your heart right, buddy. Now, I know they may not be saying it in such a forceful way, but around, hey, you need a holistic holiness. How is your heart today? Is your heart right? And hey, you know the problem in our churches? We don't love Jesus enough. If we would love him enough and have our heart right, I guess those two would go hand in hand. You got to have your heart right. And how, I guess loving Jesus is the way to fix everything. If we could just love Jesus, all the sin would go away. So am I to make my heart right? Am I to love Jesus more or is it Jesus who makes my heart right and is it Jesus who gives me love? And if making my heart right and loving Jesus is the answer to stop sinning, then why wouldn't Jesus just give us a perfect love and a perfect heart? But we still have a sinful heart. And we still love ourselves more than we love God because that's the very essence of our sin nature. Look, no matter how much we like it, our sin nature will always love us more than we love anybody else. It's just, it's built into us. That's our sin nature. I don't know about these. I don't know about these steps. I'm, I'm starting to get nervous that we pulled over at the wrong seminar, right? Here's step number three. Here we go. Trust Christ for victory over sin. Now, it's kind of interesting because the first two steps seem to be something we have to do. What is your heart condition? How are you fully walking in the light today? Now, again, I, 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 they almost be separating how much we love Jesus and walking in the light. We haven't even got into walking in the light. So really, if you think about it, they're really giving us three things. Hey, get your heart right. Make sure you love Jesus enough and make sure you walk in the light. And then the third one, or, or almost really the fourth point is, Trust Christ for victory over sin. Well, if I'm trusting Christ for victory over sin, then why do I got to do those other things? Hey, I'm just going to trust Christ. Christ's going to give me victory over sin. Let's see what they have to say here. They quote Charles Haddon Spurgeon, which is a little interesting. Charles Spurgeon reminded us that as we are saved by grace, we can be sanctified only by grace. Our works were of no benefit for our salvation Neither will they enable us to achieve the holiness we desire. So, let me read this again. We're saved by grace. We can be sanctified only by grace. Our works were of no benefit for our salvation. Neither will they enable us to achieve the holiness we desire. So, we cannot achieve the holiness we desire by works. They, they go on to quote this. The psalmist testify, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. When we turn to God, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Faint. Isaiah 40, 31. And we will say with Paul, I can do all th- things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 13. 
When we bring God our persistent temptation and sins, he often leads us to counselors or trusted friends who can help us. He gives us guidance and his word by his spirit, but ultimately we must ask him for the victory we need and trust him to provide it. All right, so the first step we have to take is we can't settle for anything less than holistic holiness. Second, we need an intimate, transforming relationship with Jesus, which basically means we need an intimate and transforming relationship with Jesus, meaning I've got to love him more and I've got to walk in the light. And then number three, I'm supposed to just trust Christ for the victory. So if I trust Christ to give me victory over sin and I don't experience said victory, is that Christ's fault or is that my fault? I said, well, no, 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 you got to do your part. But if I do that my part, then am I trusting on him or I'm trusting in me? Or do I trust Christ for the ultimate victory, which is glorification? But in the meantime, I have to trust myself to do all of these things. See, when, when Christians talk about this subject, it always just gets bizarre to me. It's like this weird doublespeak that you need like, I don't know what you need. You need a compass, 1380, I believe, um, I, I'll guarantee you she's Catholic, probably Catholic mystic. In fact, let me make sure. I'm almost positive she's a Catholic mystic from my Catholic education, but let me, I don't want to, the last thing to do is to rely on your education of the past to think that you have the knowledge in the present because uh, we forget things. So uh, let me, I had to do a whole course on Catholic mysticism, but which I always joke Catholic mysticism gave rise to the charismatic movement, but I digress, right? Uh, she's an Italian saint. Uh, no, don't allow. Um, Catherine of Siena was an Italian member of the Third Order of the Saint of, uh, uh, of Saint Dominic and Roman Catholic Church. She was a mystic. There we go. I knew she was a Catholic mystic. So I'm very, I'm, 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 I'm confused that they are. Um, uh, that's weird. I wonder if we lost connection on uh, Church One. I just got a message from Church One. I hope we didn't. I haven't seen anything that was. I'm not paying any attention to the screen because I'm looking at all of this other stuff. So I'm I'm fascinated that this article now telling us the three steps we need to take is now pointing us to Saint Catherine of Siena, which is a Catholic mystic. So you know, go figure. Okay, okay, here we go. This, they say, is it possible for us to know Christ with such transforming intimacy? Saint Catherine of Siena did. She prayed. So according to them, a Catholic mystic obviously knew Christ in a transforming way. So clearly (laughs) she's saved. So I guess Roman Catholicism is a valid gospel and it's true Christianity because they just said St. Catherine of Siena um, knew that she knew Christ in a a transforming way. So I, all right. So they're going to quote from her. Here's what, here's what is, here is the quote. You are a, you are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, 
The more I find and the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied what I receive. And will, uh, will, okay, let me read this all again. Let me read this all again. All right, I apologize. Let me read this all again. All right, this is what Catherine of Siena, I guess she prayed this for complete accuracy. She's praying this to Christ. She's praying this to God. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. And the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an even greater hunger and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. As a result, she could say to God, you are a fire ever burning and never consumed, which itself consumes all the selfish love that fills my being. And she could add, you are the garment which covers our nakedness and our hunger, and you are a satisfying God. So Catherine of Siena, a Catholic mystic, who was a nun, the order of uh, she was a part of the order a religious order she figured it out she is where we find our answer and this is literally posted at crosswalk.com not a catholic website <laughs> that's that's hilarious to me that's absolutely hilarious to me That that's the answer. Now those are powerful prayers, but I'm just saying you you you're le- this leads you to a theological major. Re- well, wait a minute. So you're saying Catherine of Siena, a Catholic mystic, she was saved. In fact, she was saved and she understood it and she was transformed by her relationship with Christ. We need to be, if we can have the same kind of relationship she had, then we can be so transformed as she was. So you're telling me the answer is I need to abandon the world and join a monastery, join a convent that I, I should, I, I have to become a monk or a nun in order to develop such an intimate relationship with Christ that I can overcome sin. Your, your answer is to point me to a, to a Catholic nun mystic that like, that just seems bizarre to me that that's the answer. Yet you just, in the previous point, said I just should just trust Christ for the victory. Now, I'm I'm just going to read her words one more time. Because I'm kind of just baffled by this now. You are a mystery as deep. Now, this is what she's praying. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. The more I find, the more I search for you, but can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an even greater hunger and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Now, if we really, 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 really felt that way and believe that, and that, that all, that all we can do is des- we desire Christ more and more and more and more and more and more and more, that would be great. But like, how, what, how do we achieve that? What does that actually look like? And then she went on to say, speaking of God, you are a fire ever burning and never consumed, which itself consumes all the selfish love that fills my being. 
and you are a garment which covers our nakedness and your hunger. Uh, you are a satisfying, uh, you are a satisfying food. I think I said you are satisfying God uh, or first time I read it, but you get the idea because I was thinking about a million different things. So this road stop on temptation has given us things that I guess we're supposed to do. No explanation exactly how we're supposed to accomplish this. Yet we're supposed to trust Christ for the victory, but ultimately we need to be Catherine of Siena and we need to have this kind of such deep, intimate love for Christ that it's so all-consuming that it makes us desire him above all else and then he will burn away all of our selfish love. And then we can be perfect, holy saints before God, I guess. Okay, I, I can hear the grumbling in the back seat. I can hear the grumbling, all right? Or not really, we're not in the back seat. I can hear the grumbling. Everybody's looking at me going, you pulled the car over for this? You're an absolute idiot. What were you thinking? Well, what I was thinking is we have to constantly be reminded of when we study this world of temptation, we study this concept, how the Christian world speaks on it how it thinks about it, how it tries to help people, leading you to a confusing mix of, so I'm supposed to do it, God is supposed to do it, I'm supposed, and like, you're, you're left with such very few answers on the subject. So I, I guess we can just get back, get back in our car, so we can get back to the car. You ready? All right, we'll get back in the car. I know, everyone's grumbling now. I'm hungry. We should have stopped somewhere and got some food. You never can, you, you're not driving. Someone's now arguing that they're taking the keys. I, I hear all the grumbling. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get back in the car. And we will, we will drive. All right. I don't know what to say other than I'm sorry. All right. Um, I, I, you can just tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. If you want to look up that article, three urgent steps to take to combat temptation. Three urgent steps to take to combat temptation. I found it at crosswalk.com. Actually, I found it in an email from Christian Headlines, which then sent me there. It's a long, weird journey to get there to where I needed to find it. But I finally found it. And I don't really know what to say other than there you have it. Um, if you were listening to us on the Church One app, if we lost connection at some point, can you tell me when and how long or at least an estimate? Um, and you can email that to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com because someone the other day said we lost connection on Church One. And right there seems to indicate we lost connection on church one. And I got to figure out why all of a sudden we started losing connection. Either there's an issue going on with my internet, which I don't want to have to go through that long path. We did not lose connection on Spreaker, but the other day we lost connection on Spreaker. So something weird is starting to happen again. And so I got to, I need to figure out what that is sooner rather than later. But if you were listening to church one, Sermons 
and it did get cut off, I will upload this uh, immediately, and then you can go back and on demand, listen to what you missed. Wow. Catherine of Siena is where we ended. Who would have guessed that's where we, w- we would have ended with a Catholic mystic on an article published on a very non-Catholic website? <laughs> and that speaks of her as if Catholicism is just, well, biblical Christianity, and you can believe that and be saved. Look, if, if, if Catholicism is biblical Christianity and you can be saved, we should all just leave our, our Protestant churches and go back to Rome. We should just all go back to Rome and just be one church. All right. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. I, I feel, I feel kind of disappointed. I, I feel kind of frustrated. I really do now. Now I do feel like an idiot that I took this exit. I really do feel like an idiot for taking this exit. But, oh, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.